thought maybe you boys might be interested in putting on a big-time wrestling bout. You know, make a nice hunk of dough for yourself. It's time to play Santa? Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Morgan, you're out of here. You don't have the right temperament for the trade. You're a dead man. What am I supposed to do? There's always barber college. Frankie, I know you're a great wrestler, but my brother, who ain't as handsome as you, is as strong as Charles Atlas. Yeah, but I've wrestled women that are bigger than him. Sure, you got fat, sloppy women. Happy holidays and welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen. And this week we are watching and celebrating the 1996 holiday classic Jingle All the Way featuring Paul the Giant White, otherwise known as The Big Show. That's right. And, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, Arnold Schwarzenegger, well steeped in WWE lore. So this is a uh, an especially wrestling-ish uh, holiday movie. I mean, it's got a it's it's a holiday movie that packs some packs some punch, <laughs> has some over the top costumes. Yeah, I mean, it's and very wrestling-ish. Yeah, that was one of the things that I wish I had done before I sat down to watch this movie was accept the fact that this took place in a universe far, far, far away from the one that we live in. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a crazy, crazy movie. Um, this movie came out 1996, November 22nd, which is my birthday. And for a long time, I had a tradition that what I would do is every year on my birthday, I'd go to the movies and see something, you know, whatever. whatever and usually I would try to get the dopiest movie I could find. Because yes. my my thought was always, if you go see a drama and it's bad, you're going to come away feeling bad. But if you go see a comedy and it's bad, you're probably going to still come away feeling pretty good. So I would always go to the box office and say, what's the stupidest film out? And in 1996, the stupidest film playing was Jingle All the Way. And I went and watched this film. And I am... Just, I mean, like within 20 minutes, there's a lot of, okay, so is this a dream sequence? What What's going on here? This this movie's gotten way too outlandish, way too, even for the, the universe of films like uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and other, you know, the Santa Claus. This film just seems to be even sillier. Yeah, and it seems to keep ramping things up. I think, you know, when you... When it starts with sort of a, a Turbo Man action, uh, you know, TV show where mm-hmm. Harvey Corman's the president, uh, at that point you should know that uh, it's probably going to get pretty wacky. So uh, this was apparently inspired by uh, the craze of the Cabbage Patch Kids. Uh, they, I, I do remember this from when I was a kid, the Cabbage Patch Kids being so big that, you know, you would see on TV parents just duking it out, you know, and that, for, to my knowledge, that was the first time that that happened, that there was a must-get toy. And from then on, it seems like every year there either is one or they make up one. Yeah, you have like your Tickle Me Elmo or your mm-hmm. Furby. Yeah, definitely. And uh, uh, the Power Rangers apparently at one point were the must-have toy. I don't remember. I remember them being big. I don't remember them being a big Christmas thing, but that's what uh, that's what 
you know, the director says, uh, the writer says he was inspired by was, was that, uh, the craze for the, the Power Rangers and, and, you know, Christmas time. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that though is, it's obviously supply and demand, but I think there's almost every year there's, you know, I think the, the toy companies say, Hey, this, by the way, news media, this is going to be the must have toy. And a lot of times the one that they're not expecting becomes the must have toy. And turbo man was one of those deals where this was an item. They weren't originally, you know, they stocked a small amount of them. They didn't think this was going to be a big tie in that people were going to want this doll. People actually wanted this doll and it became somewhat like what happens in the movie. <laughs> Another one. I remember that's a holiday tie in was the talk boy. Remember the talk boy in home alone too? Oh Yes. This is Peter McAllister, the father. This was like a little walkie, a little Walkman that he would talk into and then he'd play it back slower or faster. He could do like little tricks with it. And it was really just a gimmick for the movie so that he could call down to the front desk and slow his voice down and say credit card. No problem. So when the when the movie came out, every kid in America saw this movie. It was like, well, I want one of those. And the toy company was like, one of those what's like, you know, the thing in the movie. And so they quickly scrambled to make one, you know. Uh, so it's it's funny, you know, when when life uh, is inspired by art and art inspires life. Yeah. Did you see this movie in the theater? I I can't remember if I saw this in the theater or not, but I had to see it at some point in either 96 or 97, which was the last time I saw it before I sat down to watch it for this show. Ah, very interesting. I do remember seeing it and not being overjoyed with it. And I remember, like, joking with somebody the following January or February that I did, like, a really bad Arnold impression. And I was like, I'm going to jingle all the way to the Oscar ceremony. It's going to get me best picture. Um, but I, I do remember kind of like this being like the the joke movie that I talked about for a long time with people. That if I was just like, oh, you know what? Well, you're going to watch some bad Christmas movie like Jingle All the Way. And then um, I was at my in-laws house. Uh, and so this is probably about 10 to 15 years ago. And they had it on. And I was like, why are you guys watching this? And they're like, oh, we watch this, you know, not like every Christmas, not like a tradition. And they sit down and do it. But it's one that, you know, almost every Christmas they watch. And I was like, why? This movie's so stupid. And they were like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I think I totally missed that the first time around. That's the point. This is a very silly cartoonish movie. The director they got is a guy named Brian Levant. And I always remember him because he directed the Flintstones movie. And he came back and directed the, the sequel as well. And I believe he did the movie Snow Dogs. I mean, he's done a lot of movies that are, are very family friendly. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I remember him so well was when he did the Flintstones in the in like the behind the scenes stuff, he shows that he has one of the world's largest Flintstones collections. Oh, cool. 
Yeah, he's got like a, a room in his house with rows and rows of stuff. And he said when he heard they were making that movie, he just immediately started contacting Amblin and saying, you know, I, I hope you guys will consider me. You know, I'm a, I'm a director and I'm a huge fan of the of the of you know the whole thing. And and apparently when they made that movie, there were little things like when they were casting for uh, the scene very small throwaway moment but when they put the giant rack of ribs on the car and it tips over yes and he's looking and he's like well no the girl has to be a lot skinnier than that and they were like excuse me he's like well the girl in the cartoon she's a lot skinnier than that and they went back and looked and they're like no he's right she was a lot skinnier than that and so i i think he had to make some concessions because i'm pretty sure betty rubble was not uh, supposed to be rosie o'donnell <laughs> in his head uh but He's an interesting guy and a guy that makes sense that he would be the guy that they would put up to helm this cartoonish, violent film. Craig, do you have a plot summary? Because um, yeah. I have one. All I, right. I don't um, know if yours is better than mine. Mine is pretty ridiculous, but I'll, right. I'll give you mine. And if you have a better one, you can hit me with it afterwards. Sure mine thing. is is from Amazon.com. It's like two sentences long. It's almost like a tweet. Mm-hmm. It says, It's right before Christmas and high-powered businessman Howard Langston is fighting a shopping war in order to buy his son the hottest action figure of the season, Turbo Man. (laughs) This uh, this film is very, very well-reviewed on Amazon. Uh, Amazon has uh, four, uh, 4.3 out of five stars. Almost everybody uh, gave it a five-star review, but let's... uh, Let's drill down into these guys that said one star. You ready? Yes. William C. Ovecca says, unwatchable. I didn't get to use my copy till last night, December 12, 2013. It froze constantly. He must have meant froze. No good. It's too late to get it returned. So he had more of a problem. With no, he the, literally the was like, it's, it's itself, unwatchable. Yeah, he yeah. was like, <laughs> you might see the, the headline and think he just could, didn't like it. But all right, here's the second one. This is from somebody named Emma. It says, watch with the kids. One star. Fun to watch. A little corny, but fun to watch. As always with Schwarzenegger, you have to take it as it comes. Good children's movie. Do you think that's one of those cases where, and I think, you tweeted a, a uh, something recently um, yeah, yeah. where people are using the one star as a five star. They don't yes. understand how that works. Yes, I tweeted it was uh, it was the Jim Henson book, and the woman's like, "This is the best book I've ever seen on Jim Henson." One star. <laughs> All right, let's try this third one. This one, this got to be got to be a real review. A morally, creatively, and intellectually brain dead cash in. <laughs> completely brainless fluff with neither a sentiment nor a care in the world. All the pieces are there to revisit the Charlie Brown Christmas specials message about materialism, overpowering the true spirit of the season. But for whatever reason, it never even threatens to get to the point. Arnold in one of his cheesiest roles. And that's really saying something breaks laws of more than just a criminal nature in his search for an elusive limited supply action figure on Christmas Eve. Without exception, every single character in the film is a disdainful, greedy, self-centered jerk with little, if any, redeeming value. Even the matriarch of Arnold's family, long the voice of reason in such pictures, is a judgmental, misguided wasp who graces the screen with perhaps the worst closing line I've heard in years. A pointless exercise. 
that astonishingly seems to come to the conclusion that consumerism is good so long as you buy early. <laughs> I got to admire that guy's um, well-thought-out critique of the movie. Well, let's go to the article that, that struck the news recently and, and caught us both in a titter. <laughs> the uh, article that came out, Rapshi, Schwarzenegger's Crimes and Jingle All the Way. Um, I want to I wanna go through these one at a time. I'll, I'll do the first one. You can do the second one. And let's just break down all of the crimes that they say he commits during the course of this film. And I can't argue with any of these. No, and, that, and that's the main thing in this movie. I think it's really hard to find anybody in this movie who isn't a jerk. <laughs> yes. First crime. Failure to maintain a lane and speeding. To try to beat traffic, Langston drives in the shoulder and gets a speeding ticket. <laughs> Never a good thing. No. Well, and that was the thing. He's So at the beginning of the movie, he's he's sort of staying at work uh, till the last minute before he goes to see his, uh, his kid get uh, a karate belt. Mm -hmm. And he says, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. And then he leaves. And instead of saying, oh, he didn't leave enough time. He hits traffic, which gives him an excuse beyond he left at a point that was way too late to get there. Yes, yes. And so he, he drives, you know, on the shoulder of the road. This is a, a thing that they do in movies a lot that kind of bugs me. It's the guy who just works too hard to make money for his family. And yeah. that's like a bad trait. Yeah, you know? yeah. Sorry and, for putting food on the table and a, and a nice roof over your head. Yeah, exactly. But here's the thing about that. You know. That everybody, from the producer of the film <laughs> all the way to the star of the film, you know all of these people are type A personalities that are doing exactly that. You know that Brian Levant was cutting this film on Christmas Eve one year while his family was begging him to come down and, you know, and dress up as Santa Claus or whatever. <laughs> yeah is working on christmas eve in the 90s was that like i don't remember that being a big deal but like he leaves the house and she's like but honey it's christmas eve you can't go to work he's like but i need to call some people he's like sitting there cold calling people during the christmas party so yes. nuts so what's the next crime he commits two counts of assault Langston assaults and intimidates two toy store clerks while trying to find the Turbo Man action figure. Yeah, so so basically he's he's uh, he's got a wife who's who's a bit prickly. Mm -hmm. He's got he's got kids that want stuff, you know, because they watch a lot of TV. He's got God bless him, God rest his soul, Phil Hartman as an obnoxious neighbor who wants his wife. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> He said he and he puts a full court press on her throughout this movie. Yeah. One and of the so, like again, like I said, one of the many jerks in this movie. So you've got all this going on, and so so Arnold's character Langston. Uh, it, I, I wish his name was like Ernie, so we could call him Big E Langston. <laughs> he decides I'm going to win my son's love by buying him this Turbo Man. Goes to the store, and so assaults happen, Craig. <laughs> Yeah, well, I got to say that these store clerks, they almost deserve it, almost being the key word, one of whom is Chris Parnell of Saturday Night Live fame and uh, who we know and love from Hot Rod where he played the radio DJ with the like Calvin and Hobbes tattoo yes. 
Yes. Um, Calvin and Hobbes, where Calvin can pee in two directions. <laughs> yes, on, uh, on the FM radio. Yes, and a TV set, I think, or, yes. or something like that. Yes, I did not recognize him. Much younger, I, I guess. Uh, did he look a lot younger? Because he's a guy who isn't that old, but looks 50 years old. Yeah, I, I actually... I. I had no idea that he was in this movie. And when I saw him, I said, wow, this has to be like one of his first credits ever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so they won't, they, they, they come out and they're, I mean, they're, they're treating this and this was reflective of what happened. The store clerks in this scene and others, they treat the customers like it's all some kind of big game. Oh, yeah, they have this scene where Arnold gets to the toy store and the guy's waiting by the door and it's like two minutes to nine and he refuses to open. And there's like a huge, you know, wave of people waiting to get in the store. Yeah. So his next crime is assault. So after two counts of assault, another scene features him assaulting Larrabee with a remote control car. Now, Larrabee, this is uh, this is Sinbad's character. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Sinbad, because I really like Sinbad. Uh, from what I understand, Joe Pesci was originally supposed to be in this, and for whatever reason, ended up not doing it. But one of the things that they said was that either this was the reason or this was a good byproduct of getting Sinbad instead is that you feel like Sinbad might be able to knock out Arnold. You know, you feel like when push comes to shove, these two guys, you, you don't know who's going to win. Yeah. And Arnold's the real white collar guy with the, with the fancy tweed coat. Sinbad's a, a mailman, you know, with cut off fingerless gloves. Uh, but he looks like he could put up a fight and he's a big giant of a man. Yeah, and and the one thing in, in in this is if you watch the trailer for this movie, you really get the idea that the entire movie is Arnold and Sinbad racing around trying to get this Turbo Man doll. And surprisingly for me, there was a lot less Sinbad in this movie than I expected. Ah, now I don't remember the trailer. Um, was there more to it that stood out to you? Was there anything else that was interesting about it? No, it was just one of those things where they, you know that. The pitch of the movie, whether, you know, these two dads competing to get a Terrible Man, where there's huge sections of this movie where yeah. Arnold's sort of off on his own and then Sinbad will pop back up. Right. I really like uh, Sinbad. Uh, the other movies that I, I remember him very well in, Houseguest, which is also Phil Hartman. Phil yes. Hartman plays a guy who, there's a convoluted stupid plot, but Phil, Phil Hartman's a guy. Uh, Sinbad's theoretically his best friend. If you watch the film, you'll see why that's theoretically. Um, and uh, he's hysterical in that. Um, I really love him in Good Burger, where he plays uh, Mr. Ween, I believe is the guy's name, and he's or Mr. Weed, and he's the the school teacher who's stuck in the seventies. You know, he's yes. got like these crazy outfits, um, and this is a guy that kind of just has fallen off the radar, and best I can tell, just is doing stand up and you know and making you know a good living doing it that way, and not uh, sitting on a movie set. Yeah. I'm surprised. I mean, he's he's really not even a guy that had that many shots at it. I mean, he had he had you know like that one where he was like protecting the first kid. You know, he's like the I think it's called First Kid. And then he had you know, there's a movie that he did for like Hallmark Channel, yeah. um, which is like a western, which I've been dying to watch. And I think it's called The Cherokee Kid. But All I right. mean. 
he's only got, you know, a very small filmography. I, I, I wonder if it's one of those things. Um, when the Three Stooges were around, they found that they would do, you know, these shorts for very little money. You know, they, they, the studio would, the way the contracts worked then, you wouldn't get a lot of money and you certainly didn't get residuals. But the Stooges did very well because what they would do is go to theaters around the country and get paid huge amounts of money to do meet and greets and, you know, introduce the shorts or, you know, do uh, like live engagements. And so the shorts gave them the opportunity to make more money in the clubs. And that's where they made most of their money was, you know, in theaters and, you know, live performances. Maybe Sinbad found at some point that he preferred not having to hustle around and try to get movie gigs. Yeah. And he preferred to be back in front of that stand-up crowd and maybe the cachet of being a celebrity for five years gets him, you know, that bigger bucks when he goes and does this, uh, you know, more people show up just going, hey, that's the guy from Jingle All the Way. Yeah, that sounds like a completely uh, valid theory, yeah. So um, what's the what's the next crime that's uh, perpetrated in this film here, Craig? Jaywalking. <laughs> Langston walks into and through traffic outside the store. So he cuts uh, he cuts across the street, and he doesn't do it at a crosswalk. <laughs> Jaywalking is one of those things that depends on where you are. Yeah. Uh, like New York City, it's not a crime. You can just wander. I mean, it's on the books. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But everybody's wandering in and out of traffic. You know, there's just, you know, everybody's like, ah, there's room. Okay, let's run. You know, make a break for it. And then there's other towns where you'll go and you'll see people and you're, they're, you're like, why are you guys waiting for the light? What's going on here? You know, I mean, it, it jaywalking is one of those things. So I'll just assume that he lived in a jaywalking friend friendly area so I'm, I'm gonna let him slide on this one me too vandalism langston tears apart a store's turbo man cardboard stand up in a fit of rage here's my thing i think when i get to this scene in the movie if i'm him i say i'll give you 50 bucks for the standee <laughs> and i bet that kid would like that more oh totally and you can get him turbo man in january and mm-hmm. I really think if he comes down, there's a full-size Turbo Man under the tree. I think that pretty quickly wipes away any problem you have with not getting the Turbo Man. Oh, totally. Um, and the other interesting thing about this scene was there's only really one person in this movie who doesn't call the police uh, or, or does call the police when, when they should. Um, and here you think the store would have called the cops if a guy Arnold's size is – tearing apart a huge standee <laughs> yeah this movie really never plays arnold as a big guy though don't you think i mean there's there's a little reference here and there but it's it's almost played like he's a regular sized normal human being yeah and there's a there's one line where like phil hartman says to him he goes you can't use your muscles to weasel yeah. your way out this time and i thought to myself yeah that's really weird because they haven't indicated that he uses his muscles to do anything. Yeah, I mean, you. I would have expected his shirt to get ripped off halfway through the movie and him to have, you know, like bloody scars everywhere and lots of sweat, <laughs> just like in every other Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Yes. Let's uh, let's take a moment to talk about Arnold. We've mentioned on this show many times the the amount of times he has uh, popped up in the WWE universe. Uh, the very famous SmackDown episode where he showed up, punched Triple H, got the box office champion of the world belt. Yes, which surprisingly wasn't unified at the recent TLC <laughs> pay per view. 
That would have been great. <laughs> Arnold <laughs> comes out at the end. <laughs> and he, oh, wait a minute. All right. So, all right. So Randy Orton's ascending the ladder and they're like, oh, come from the back. That's Triple H. No, wait, that's not Triple H. Oh, my God. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Arnold comes up there and he pulls the belts down. Everybody's like, what is he doing? Pops open his coat to reveal his box office championship and he unifies all three belts. I I wonder where that belt is. I, I I really hope Arnold seems like uh the type of guy that that seemed to have appreciated it. So perhaps it's in his trophy room. Although you would think Arnold gets an award like that every day and so perhaps it only was in the trophy room for like the rest of that year and then went into a box and then was kind of put away. Yeah. Or he like gave it to his landscaper as like you know, a gift that year for Christmas. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger also uh, inducted Bruno Sammartino into the uh, WWE Hall of Fame at last year's WrestleMania Hall of Fame, you know, weekend ceremony. Yeah, one of the better uh, induction speeches. Um, yeah, he really from that knew. Ceremony. Right, he knew a lot about him, and he admired him. And Arnold, for all his problems with the English language, can give one hell of a good speech. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that's sort of his political roots, uh, <laughs> you know, exactly. uh, melding with his acting ability to create uh, uh, the perfect inductor. How come when he ran against Gray Davis, Gray Davis didn't have a commercial where they just cut together scenes of him committing crimes and jingle all the way? <laughs> And then had Sinbad come on at the end and be like, I wouldn't vote for him. Arnold Schwarzenegger jaywalks. Tough on crime? <laughs> I don't think so. He's Bando. <laughs> All right, so um, so we get some, we start getting into some pretty big uh, crimes here. Criminal mischief, where he breaks the side mirror off of a police officer's patrol bike. Uh, this whole thing with the police officer, this starts getting just out of control. Yeah, especially after the cop blows up and then reports to duty later that day. Yeah, there's uh, there's some nutty stuff. Uh, okay, child abuse. <laughs> this is... one, this is funny because when I read this, I was like, what? And then I was like, <laughs> oh, right, right. Uh, read me this one, Craig. Langston grabs a small child by the face in an attempt to get a lottery ball back. I guess it's not your kid. You can't do that. I guess that's child abuse. Yeah. Well, and in the movie, they refer to him as, as a straight up pervert. <laughs> All the moms start hitting him with their handbags, calling him a pervert. That's the mom's move. You know, moms <laughs> always go to the handbag in movies. Yeah. And I couldn't tell if this was the little girl until they said it because it looked like the kid from Problem Child who was probably a teenager at this point. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Problem Child, which, by the way, uh, Carrie Von Erich playing a uh, neo-Nazi criminal at the beginning of that film. Yes, we, yes. Just one of the greatest cameos in the history of wrestling. Uh, it's on our worst cameo show, if you'd like yes. to hear more. Um, let's see here. Uh, the, the next thing, uh, assault again. Again, assault, Craig. And this is all in a very short period of time, Craig. Oh, this all takes place in one day. Yes, but in, in even not even just one day. It's a matter of hours. Oh, yeah. You know, we're not. This is this is a lot of hitting. This is not a 24 hour span. It's a crime spree. <laughs> he hits a fake Santa Claus. Now, this is the big show, right? 
Yes. So this is, they go to this warehouse. Uh, this is where they're making what? Fake Turbo Man? Well, they're selling like the, you know, I guess um, Turbo Mans that fell off the back of trucks. Mm-hmm. The international version of Turbo Man that, you know, I guess for the Spanish speaking population. Oh, yes. See, it, again, I think a kid would totally be fine with that on Christmas Day. You could yeah. get him the other one later. You get the one that's like Senior Turbo or Turbo Man's uh, like like uh, Grizzly sidekick, you know, monster villain character that no one loves. Yeah, yeah. So this was uh, Jim Belushi as the mall Santa mm-hmm. who says, I can get you a Turbo Man. Come with me. Uh-huh. And then for $300, he sells him this junky uh, Spanish-speaking Turbo Man that as soon as he takes it out of the box, it falls apart. Now, here's the thing. Why, why is he taking it out of the box? Why is Dad taking the toy out of the box before getting home, wrapping it up, putting it under the tree? Well, I guess so he can find out it speaks Spanish and falls apart. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a good <laughs> thing he does, but I'm yeah. just saying. So then we get this fight, and they, they have a whole bunch of Santas, and this is where shenanigans go off the wall. I can tell you, I don't know this is a fact, but I know this is a fact, Craig. Vince McMahon has seen this scene multiple times and guffaws <laughs> himself silly. Oh, definitely. This is definitely something he, you know, he probably calls in, you know, Triple H and he says, Hunter, put on that scene from Jingle All the Way. And Hunter's like, I can't. How do I turn it to Channel 3? And then he's like, get one of the interns. And they're like, put the videotape in. Yeah. Like, we don't have videotapes. These guys are these cave these these ultra rich millionaire cavemen are very difficult to deal with Just put the dvd in for them they don't know what they're doing play it on my 32 inch tv and you know you know the two of them their fingers are too big to push the buttons on the remote they're holding it backwards you know like they're they're super adept at a lot of things but this is not one of them you know do, do you think over up there in in Stamford Connecticut in the like behind uh you know the the offices there's just a pile of destroyed VCRs that Triple H has sort of you know he just takes the sledgehammer to <laughs> he yeah he's pedigreeing a VCR because <laughs> and then they get a, just a big stack of they're going to Goodwill you know guys from on the crew just every town they go to Goodwill pick up copies of like Jingle All the Way they pick up copies of like, a handful of Vince's favorite comedies of the 80s and 90s and just have them stacked up there because they need multiple copies because every now and then Triple H will put one in the pedigree <laughs> So uh so this scene uh just hijinks up the wazoo. We've got multiple Santas, we've got little people Santas and then we get a giant Santa. Yeah, which is Big Show who in a in a very wrestling like scenario, so the midget Santa, the little person Santa mm-hmm. is on sort of Schwarzenegger's shoulders and Big Show Santa comes out, huge Santa goes to punch Arnold. Arnold ducks down and Big Show hits the little person, Santa, who flies about 100 feet yeah, at least yes. into a wall. Total... He kills the little person, Santa. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's a wildly, wildly coyote, you know, style ridiculousness. And Big Show Santa never takes his beard off. 
No. Uh, <laughs> so the big show, uh, this is a guy still wrestling. He's 41 years old. He's having, I think, a really good year. I mean, one of the best years he's had in a very long time. Do you know he was trained by uh, three people? Uh, Larry Sharp, okay. Monster Factory. Uh, Glenn Ruth, which is one of the headbangers, which I'm assuming he trained him a little bit in the WWE style, probably when he came over from WCW. Yeah. Uh, but the other guy on his list that just blows my mind and I think is so exciting is Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just I, love picturing Hacksaw in gimmick training him. They just put him in the ropes, tough guy. Oh, I would buy as many DVDs as they wanted to put out of the Hacksaw Big Show training sessions. You know what? I don't even need Big Show in them. The Hacksaw <laughs> Jim Duggan workout video. All right, next we're going to do some sit-ups. Actually, no, we're not. <laughs> uh, uh, the Big Show is a seven-time world champion. He won the WCW championship twice, uh, and, and he also won the WWE championship twice, the ECW championship, and the World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, he was the first and only wrestler to hold all four of those championships. Uh, he's had the IC title, the U.S. title, the hardcore title multiple times. He's been a tag team champ with uh, The Miz, with Kane, and with Chris Jericho, and with the undertaker i mean this is a guy that's been all over and i mean a huge part of this is he's a giant i mean yeah. that right there that gives you an advantage over everybody else you're going to be working with but the second part of it i mean he he's got some talent he moves good he's very funny and entertaining and he's also you know he he can put put it up in you know an 11th gear when he needs to Oh, yeah, and, you know, he slowed down a little bit, and rightfully so, but when he first came out in WCW, he was doing standing drop kicks mm -hmm, yeah. and a lot of real, you know, real, you know, stuff that you didn't really see guys his size doing. Let's go through his filmography. He did something called Reggie's Prayer just before this. After that, Jingle All the Way playing Huge Santa. In, in the Hulk Hogan film McKinsey's Island in 1998, he played Little Snowflake. The Water Boy, the uh, Adam Sandler film, he plays Captain Insano. Uh, little Hercules in 3D. Now, this film I don't think ever came out, but this was this little kid that had like all these muscles and he was like four years old. And they made a film with him. And Hawk Hogan, I know, was in it too. Yeah. Uh, but he was in that. Uh, MacGruber, he's one of the one of the guys in that scene in MacGruber that uh, just once it happens, the rest of the movie, no more wrestlers. No. And of course, Knucklehead, which we've reviewed on this show, also done some Thunder in Paradise, uh, did a, uh, uh, an episode of Mad TV, uh, Star Trek Enterprise. Have you ever seen this episode? No, I knew he was on a Star Trek uh, related series, but I couldn't remember if it was Voyager or Enterprise. Yeah, um, he's been on Psych like everybody else on the roster and Burn mm -hmm. Notice, you know, and Royal Pains. It was like, yeah. you know, they always need somebody to go on those. But he also uh, did an episode of The Weakest Link, and I remember this, and this was the episode that made me really hate that British lady that hosted that <laughs> show. Because Big Show, he's doing shtick with her, and he's playing along with her shtick. You know, she's like, y'all very stupid, aren't you? Aren't you a dum-dum? And, you know, he's playing along. He's he's not breaking kayfabe with her, even though 
theoretically, he is a giant yes. who hits people for a living. And so then at the end, he goes and um, and she she uh, eliminates him. And then he decides he'll do, you know, he'll do some of his shtick, you know. So he goes over and, like, tries to look real intimidating next to her. And she no-sells it. She doesn't talk, you know, act like, why are you standing there and make a joke? Mm -hmm. She doesn't act scared, which would also be funny. She does neither. And you could even tell, like, when they did the backstage interview with him, he was just kind of like, well, she no-sold me. There's really nowhere to go from there. And I was like, yeah, yeah you shouldn't have no-sold him. You want to, you should have either pretend, you should have either said, you're not intimidating me because I'm mean and British, mm -hmm. or you should have been intimidated, but you can't do neither. Yeah. Ah. No sold. So the big show, fantastic wrestler. Uh, let's stop right here, Craig. How do you rate his performance alone in this film? Oh, I think it's an A plus performance. I mean, <laughs> he he delivers um, his lines and his performance physically um, about as good as you can expect. Um, you know, the it's big the best show you're to gonna do get. it. I watched this movie many times before I realized it was him. Uh, I didn't, you know, it's not like I was looking for him and didn't find him. Yeah. But but when I heard that, that you know, that he was in this film, I watched it again. I was like, oh, there he is, you know. But it was one of those things where, you know, it's just a giant shows up. And, you know, you it makes sense that they get a pro wrestler for it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I I wish you could seen him better. You know, I wish, uh, wish there had been, you know, I wish he had had more camera time, uh, maybe been in a few more scenes. Maybe showed up at the end of the film and had eggnog with the kids or something. But, hey, this is what we get. And uh, and I did enjoy every second of it. So let's go to the next crime on this uh, this incredible crime spree. Impersonating an officer. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Langston pretends to be a police detective to get away from a police raid on the warehouse. He does the... Uh, he does uh, a very cliched, you know, uh, oh, no, I'm actually not one of the guys in here. I'm a police officer. I think I've seen this move in a million movies. Yeah. He finds like a fake badge in a, in a box in front of him, you know, when yeah, he's, he's ducking down. Yeah. And instead of being like, hey, I was a guy getting ripped off here, um, I guess since he's a jerk, he decides <laughs> that he's just going to continue to jerk it up. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that was the alternate title for this. It was either Jingle All the Way or Jerk It Up. <laughs> Jerk It Up starts Friday. Um, so we get more assault at this point. He attacks Larrabee with a payphone receiver and then knocks him repeatedly against the dinner table. Yeah, this is in that, uh, that, that scene at Mickey's like boxcar diner. Mm -hmm. with the really nice older black guy who gives them coffee and then, uh, you know, tells them the radio stations right down the street when they can't get through on the phone because the pay phone receiver has been yanked out of the phone and they damn near destroy this guy's little nice little diner. <laughs> so we get some criminal mischief. They, uh, <laughs> he shatters the door at the radio station, the radio station, 
like in a lot of movies, not totally authentic. Uh, you know, there's this, you know, that's one of the things in movies that kind of always stands out to me when they, you know, it's like, I think movie people just see radio as being such a joke that they pay no attention to it, despite the fact that, you know, everyone involved has been in a radio station before. Yeah, it's like they don't even bother to call in somebody to consult on the radio stuff. Yeah, but you know Arnold's done radio interviews. Oh. He has to know that no radio station is as nice or clean as anyone. <laughs> it's always like the offices are clean, and then you get to the actual studio where it's just, you know, uh, disc jockeys and talk show hosts, and, you know, it smells like feet and cigars, and it's just, a, I mean, that's real life. Yes. Yeah, this movie. <laughs> Come now. Um uh, fleeing, he flees the scene. Uh, he runs uh, from the police officer after they try to stop him at the radio station. Mm-hmm. Burglary, so he breaks into his neighbor's house to steal a turbo man. Yeah. So earlier in the movie, Phil Hartman had bragged about having a, a turbo man for his son wrapped and under the tree waiting for him. And I guess throughout the movie, as Arnold gets clues that Phil Hartman is what Arnold thinks is having a straight up affair with his wife, decides. Well, this guy doesn't deserve to have the Turbo Man and then thinks better of it after he realizes he's stealing from a kid. Exactly. So, but breaking and entering, Craig, <laughs> this is big time. What's yeah. the uh, what's the next crime that happens here? Yeah. And actually, there is a, a, a crime here where he knocks out a reindeer. <laughs> Phil Hartman has a reindeer sure. for some reason. Yes. And much like Arnold does in Conan when he knocks out a camel, I guess this is a callback, he <laughs> knocks out this reindeer. You're totally right. This is a uh, this is a sequence that also um, is is used in a lot of the commercials when it's going to be played over the holidays. They're always like, you know, uh, jingle all the way, and then he just punches out that reindeer. <laughs> uh, and then we have... Um, Criminal mischief again, where Langston breaks Ted's window with a flaming wise man's head. Yes. Yeah, this is really where the the movie goes absolutely off the rails. Uh, Then he flees the scene, runs away from the police after knocking over a police officer at the holiday parade. Uh, Let's get to this holiday parade. This sequence is pretty well done. It is, but it also completely changes the rules of this universe because you basically have a fully functional turbo man at this parade. <laughs> yeah. He's flying, he's shooting stuff, he's a straight up superhero. No, you're absolutely right. This uh this guy in the parade has all of the the suit does all the stuff that, that an action figure can do. That's insane. A full-on working jetpack that allows you to fly very high and very fast. It really should be uh, like like when Buzz Lightyear's in a parade, you know, they've got a guy in a suit that can barely move that's strapped to, you know, they put a hook in his back so he doesn't fall off the float. Yeah, and he can't see. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so let's get to the final crime here uh, they, is is him fleeing as he runs away. And then uh, then he uh, they they wrap everything up by saying that uh, Turbo Man action figure aside, what Langston's son really wanted for Christmas was for his father to be around and attentive. Sorry, kid. The police were hauling Larrabee off to jail at the end of the movie, but Langston should be far behind. For his 18 crimes, he should be looking at a potential 27 years of incarceration. And you know what? I can't. I don't think I could find a jury that wouldn't convict. 
Let's uh, let's give credit to the writer of this. Michael McFall was the uh, writer who who put this together uh, for for a. Uh, uh, article for a paper in utah and it's it's kind of made the rounds around the internet very funny funny yes. stuff so um let's uh let's talk about wrestling at this time uh uh there was uh there was a big wcw event going on right around this time two days later yeah november 24th in norfolk uh virginia wcw world war three 1996 took place yeah yeah it uh it got a uh, a crowd of 10,000 people and according to wikipedia the vhs tape says 1997 on it and the reason was because it came on vhs in 90, 1997 and they didn't want it to look like it was old because it was you know a month and a, a month and you know 10 days into the last year you know yeah <laughs> you know what in any other universe outside of wcw that doesn't make sense right but, but in WCW logic, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, the Super Bowl, you would never see them say, well, let's put let's put next year's date so it still looks new next year. You'd never hear, like, the World Series at the end of it. They'd be like, we're putting out a DVD set, we're gonna, but we'll re, re-number it and say it's this year so that way people buy it. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, the, the singles match for the J-Crown Championship, Ultimate Dragon with Sonny Ono versus Rey Mysterio Jr. Rey went down. Yes, and 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 before we 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 go through this card, sure. I just want to let you know that they go off the air with Bobby Heenan or Tony Schiavone, I can't remember which, declaring this the greatest pay per view in wrestling history. Okay, so this has high <laughs> stakes to live up to. People, get ready to hear about the greatest pay per view in wrestling history: World Championship Wrestling's World War Three from November twenty fourth, nineteen ninety six. Chris Jericho defeated. Now, I'm not going to finish that sentence. I'm going to say this is a singles match. Chris Jericho, fantastic wrestler, right? So yeah. one of the greatest pay-per-views of all time. He should have a great opponent. Five-star so, match, yeah. He fought Nick Patrick with one arm behind his back. <laughs> For over eight minutes. Yeah, I don't I don't know how. God bless Jericho that with one arm behind his back, he could make a match happen against Nick Patrick, the referee. Paul White was on the card. Yeah, twice. He defeated uh, Jeff Jarrett in the third match of the night in six minutes. That's about five minutes more than it should have taken him. (laughs) Harlem Heat were on the card. A tag match against the amazing French Canadians, Jacques Rougeau and and Carl Ouellette, who is not related to uh, Maurice Ouellette. How do you pronounce that? Do you know how that's really pronounced? I think you nailed it. I always think omelet when I see it. I get hungry. Um, Sister Sherry defeated Colonel Robert Parker, who actually was in the corner of the amazing French Canadians as they went down uh, in flames against the Harlem Heat. So this was an intergender singles match. How long do you think it took Sister Sherry to beat Colonel Robert Parker? I'm going to say it had to take at least two minutes. A minute and 30 seconds, and 10 of those is the ref counting to 10. Uh, Dean Malenko, champion, fought Psychosis for the Cruiserweight Championship. 15-minute match, probably a decent match. Yeah, uh, Malenko came out on top. You know, that sounds like that might have been a good match. But I don't know if that was worthy of the greatest pay-per-view <laughs> in the history of wrestling. 
Uh, also on this card, we had the Outsiders, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall versus the Faces of Fear. Do you remember the Faces of Fear, Craig? I, oh. I, I see the names here, but I don't remember this combination. Yeah, Mang and the Barbarian, yeah. Hey, Mang. How you doing, Mang? <laughs> uh, Jimmy Hart was their, was their manager, and uh, the Nasty Boys also on the team. Uh, this was a triple, th- or actually, this is a triple threat match. So what you had, you had each corner had a different tag team in it. Uh, the Outsiders defeated the other two teams. Are you surprised? No. I mean, that's a huge mismatch. Yeah, yeah. All right, so yeah, in the main event, the giant was out again. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the he was in this uh, big sixty man battle royal. So, have you watched this match? Yeah, I, I watched most of this match in preparation for this episode, and this is really where you see one of WCW's biggest problem is the fact that they were able to do a <laughs> sixty man battle royal without calling in outside talent. Ah, yes. I mean, I'm looking at the list here. They had this many guys on, on payroll. DDP's in there, La Parca, Jim Powers, uh, Sergeant Craig Pittman, uh, yeah. who is the only Craig we could find in the history of wrestling. Yes. Uh, Benoit was in this, Big Bubba, uh, a guy named Jack Boot. <laughs> do you yeah. remember Jack Boot? I do not. This guy was, uh, he was also wrestled as Braun the Leprechaun. D. Wayne Bruce, that was his uh, his birth name, Jack mm-hmm. Boot, and the Leprechaun Sarge, as well as Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. Um, best that known name under familiar. the name. Yeah, that was the name he was best known as. And his nickname, Sarge, uh, he was a trainer at the power plant. Okay. I have heard stories about, about him, Sarge. actually. About Sarge, yeah. Yeah, that he was a, a little man. Batista said he was a guy with little man uh, syndrome. Syndrome, yes. And Batista said he used to push him around. And he was terrible. He was... Uh, you want to guess how small he was? He was uh, wrestled under the name Braun the Leprechaun. I'm going to say he was five foot seven. Five ten. Wow. Five ten. Batista's that big that a guy that's five ten, Batista's like is a little tiny guy. Yeah. He was so, only he was only five ten, two hundred pounds. He was just a midget. <laughs> so so you have to be wondering how they can fit sixty guys. Yeah. How how does this work? Field. Well. The great thing about World War III was they took three wrestling rings and sort of put them in like a a, a U-shape. So one ring would be there, and then at each corner at the top would be another ring. And the wrestlers would, I guess 20 wrestlers started in each ring and eventually worked their way down to one ring. And from that point, it was just a standard battle royal where you got thrown over the top and eliminated. And so uh, the Giant won this. So this was probably the biggest weekend of his life. Yeah, I mean, he the <laughs> Open, and he won. Uh, he 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 won the the uh, the World War Three. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I understand this guy. You know, has had much bigger wrestling moments, but this was a big double feature, man. He was he was in a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was a young guy too, because you got to figure by the time he did like Knucklehead, a little jaded. You know, he's yeah. older. You know, he's probably more about ah, you know what? I like spending time at you know with my family or whatever. Yeah. You know, uh, I enjoy a nice relaxing day at the spa more than a day. You know, uh, being a star of a movie but at this moment this had to be one hell of an exciting weekend yeah yeah and the highlight of this match for for me and i think anybody watching it would be lex luger's ability to completely no sell anything so within the span of a minute 
Luger puts the giant, the big show, in the torture rack and Kevin Nash in the torture rack. After each one of those, he doesn't sell the effect of the weight he's just lifted, even after he gets hit holding one of them. Mm. <laughs> yeah, crazy. So what'd you think? What'd you think of that card overall? What was your what was your feeling on on what you saw of it? Did you enjoy it? Was it a blast from the past? Well, yeah, I, the 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 World War Three match is a lot of fun. Yeah, to see that many guys in three rings. I think that was something that WCW really excelled at was you know doing these incredible gimmick matches. You know, they would do the uh, the war games where they would push two rings together. They would do, yeah. you know, these crazy scaffolding matches. Um, aside from that, the pay-per-view's junk, though. I see. So Bobby Heenan, not really telling the truth. <laughs> no, but I guess he was, he was selling the product. That's right. So this film um, uh, came out, and it... Um, it was critically like not they say mixed reviews, but it seems like they were, you know, uh, mostly negative reviews. Uh, it it uh, it did well um, by some accounts box office wise. It made 60 million, which they say the budget was about 60 million. So in general, with marketing and everything, that's not a hit. But this film has had some kind of legs. I mean, I guarantee it's on TV somewhere this month. It I was guarantee on Cartoon Network. Right before we sat down to record this. Ah, very good. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a film that, you know, holiday films tend to uh, stick around. And this is one that if you had asked me how much money it made, I would have thought it made more than $60 million. That was uh, made it the number 22 film of that year. Um, but I, I, you know, it, it seems like it, it was a film that kind of has a, you know, a, a lot of... You know, there's a lot of people who really love this movie, and a lot of people, at least, uh, this film has a, has made a big dent in pop culture history. Yeah, um, it is all time on the all time chart. It's number one thousand and eighty six. That'll probably change by tomorrow. <laughs> you know, because like some other film will come out and you know knock it down one peg. But there you go. Um, it was in two thousand four hundred four theaters. That was pretty big. Uh, Pretty big release back then. Yeah, I mean, a lot of movies still only open in around 2,000 theaters yeah. now. And now the multiplex has 150 screens. Yeah. So uh, let's uh, let's get to it, Craig. Do you tap out to jingle all the way? <sighs> <laughs> I'd like to say that I'm in the holiday spirit and in a giving mood, but I, I, I cannot. This movie was a little too over the top for me. I almost wish I had gone in with the the understanding that it took place in a galaxy far, far away, and where you know the laws of nature uh, that we that we go by didn't exist. But this movie is just a little too ridiculous um, for me, and a little too convoluted. Even though there are some good moments, um, I got to say I tapped to this movie. Well, if you asked me in 1996, I probably would say, what does that mean, tap out to mm -hmm. a movie? That makes no sense. And they don't even do that in wrestling yet. But if you asked me if I liked it, I probably would have said, yeah, it was all right. It was kind of stupid. It wasn't great, you know. Uh, but I did enjoy seeing it in 1996 on my birthday. And I remember I bought a big old bag of Reese's Pieces, which I did every year only on my birthday. I would never buy the candy at the movie theater because, you know, it comes in that absurd bag. So you need somebody to share it with. But oh, I'd yeah. always be like, well, it's my birthday. I'll get this big bag and eat it until I have a stomach ache. But uh, 
I probably would have given it a thumbs down. But all these years later, you know, after my in-laws said, yeah, it's a dumb movie. That's why we're watching it. <laughs> I, I kind of realized that this is what this movie is. This is what this movie is trying to be. And if that's what it wants to be, it's doing a good job at it. Uh, I don't watch it every year for Christmas, but I do get it in every few years. It's a, it's a fun one. It's probably, if I listed my favorite Christmas films, it would maybe make the top 20. And that's pretty good because there's a lot of Christmas films out there. It's no Home Alone. It's no It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, but it's not something I'm going to tap out to. So I am not going to tap. Uh, so we got a split decision here on Jingle All the Way. Yep. So, Craig, Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Same to you. I, I, I wish nothing but the best to you and your family uh, in the coming year. I know. It's it's always an exciting time of year. Usually we get all the holidays at this time, but this year Hanukkah's already over. It ended shortly after Thanksgiving. Yes. And Ramadan was in the summer. Wow. So we had summer Ramadan. We had uh, uh, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Hanukkah, which apparently will never happen again in our lifetime. Or and, the uh, lifetime of anybody that... <laughs> That we'll ever know. Yeah, yeah, because apparently it's like 6,000 years or yeah. some crazy number. Uh, but now we get uh, we get just really Christmas, and then you get the after Christmas Kwanzaa, which is a, you know, is a manufactured holiday. It's not a, it's a holiday that was invented by somebody, uh, and it was invented around the timeline of Christmas and New Year's. So it, it, it always has to fall after uh, uh, Christmas and, and, and around New Year's. But uh so really, it's a, it's a, it's a, always a nice time. I, I I like it better when you get all the holidays at once. But what the heck? Let's uh, let's all have a, a merry Christmas and a happy New Year. And uh, it has been a fun one here on Camel Clutch Cinema. Convoluted ending, but what the hell? <laughs> this will go down in history as the greatest battle royal in the history of this sport. No question I've about it. I've never seen 60 men fight for their lives and fight for something they want like they did here. This was this was the greatest pay-per-view I've ever seen in my life. Nope. Hey, Ladies and gentlemen, the winner the of World War III, Tony. the yes. Giant. So you want to wrestle, huh? You're too little. We got ushers bigger than you. Leave. I got to take a crap. Don't you see? Your skills plus my skills in the ring. Tag team. Howard Patrols is John Triton. What are you doing up there? Staying away from you. No more rhymes now, I mean it. Anybody want to feel it? What's that smell? Down goes Jimmy King. Oh my God, a four-post massacre. No one can survive this. This isn't even a pay-per-view.